Hey, good evening. And it uh, certainly has been a great day, fantastic day out there for uh, fall, and uh, we are uh, proceeding through uh, chapter four of Ephesians. And uh, I think the, a good question would be: Is what is God's purpose for the church? And of course, we automatically know the purpose for everything is uh, that God would get the glory, right? That's too easy. That's that's a simple one. So my question, after knowing that, that God is to get the glory, is the purpose of the church for evangelism? Because in Matthew 28, we get the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded, discipling them. Um, or in Matthew 25, it says to feed the, the hungry and clothe the naked. And uh, so, is it social concerns? Is that the purpose of the church? So far, those things fall into play as far as the church is concerned, but is that what the chief purpose is for the, the church? And then I think another one is the fact that people have a kind of a safe haven in church to be around God's people, and we wouldn't disagree with that. But is that the chief purpose for the church? Well, I think we'd probably say no. But um, besides just giving glory to God, which is the ultimate, that's the reason we exist, knowing that, and we say that every week, but according to uh, Ephesians 4, where we are at tonight, and where we have been uh, in the middle of this chapter, uh, if we were to look at verse 13, dealing with uh, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then it talks about uh, false doctrine versus true doctrine, speaking the truth in love. Uh, And on down through 16, we'll read that in a moment. Uh, The chief purpose would that we'd become fully grown or uh, matured to that perfect man, to the measure of the stature of, of Christ. And so that each of its members, and this is where we're proceeding to in verse 16, where it talks about from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So the church and each of its the members that make up that church... Uh, are to contribute to the very maturity uh, by becoming spiritual adults. And as we become spiritual adults and become mature, then we see where evangelism actually does come into play. We see them, we give them the truth, and we build them up so where they can also give the truth out. And then as people become mature in that element, then they are able to contribute with the Word of God and to contribute with the rest of the body as it's being edified. Church is a beautiful thing. Um, obviously, we, we see outwardly sometimes of the things that the church does. Some good, some not so good. Maybe not the best witness, sometimes a really good witness. But uh, the gifts are given uh, to the body of Christ. And in this instance, we looked at pastor, teacher, um, and we see that that particular gift is to uh, edify the body with the Word of God, giving uh, strong teaching and preaching. And those new Christians are to grow out of that spiritual infancy in which they all start at. They're all babies. And they are to go on to maturity. Now, in the text that we're dealing with, we know the ultimate is the sense that where all this comes to culmination where everything does come into perfection or glorification. That's what we're shooting for, aiming for. But he's also talking about an attaining to that even right now. We, we know that we can't come to that full completion, perfection, glorification. We, we know that that will not happen in, in this life. But there is the sense of this maturity that we are to be growing into. And so what Paul is concerned with in... Uh, not only this particular book of the Bible, Ephesians, and in the section as he talks about the church, uh, but so often he will talk about the glory of the church. Uh, we've seen that in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4. 
the great position that He has put us in. Um, the body beautiful. The body of Christ. And so he talks about that, uh, the, the very glory of that position that, that he has done. It's all his work. It's his doing. Yeah, he gets the glory on it. But it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that God has done, and he has individual members of this church, uh, this body of his, and we have quite the privilege as we live and operate in this body and we communicate with each other together. And it's all for the purpose of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for, again, another evening that uh, we get to be excited about Your Word as we turn into uh, uh, the very pages uh, that are words that have come from You through the Apostle Paul. And these particular words that we look at tonight talks about the very body, the, the church. And that's what we all are part of. And thank you for putting us into this elect group of people so that we'd be able to show your glory, that we'd manifest and reflect the very glory of Christ. And as we look at this, that we would learn to fit into this body even more as we'd see what our purpose is in it in that we want to reflect Your glory. We want to bring forth the very essence of who You are as we communicate with each other and um, help us to learn better uh, the head of this church, Christ. For that is what we want so much, to know Him more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we uh, are looking at verse... Actually, we were in verse 13. Do we have allies this week? Yes, we do. Funny you should say that. They're back there probably on the uh, printer, and I think I did one of them, and I didn't finish the rest. So, thank you, Zach. See what I'm telling you? I have to take him wherever I go. <laughs> He's my friend. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think I started on that, and I got I got one done. Yeah, my external hard drive. That's good. Some of you guys might know what that means there. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah, that's needed. Uh, I've been overloaded. <laughs> uh, when we were... Uh, this really started out in chapter 4, verse 1, of course. But let's go right ahead, and we're going to jump right all the way into verse 11, where he talked about the gifts. And the gifts, uh, really, we're talking about pastors and teachers, the evangelists and such. They equip the saints. They're to equip the saints. They equip the saints with what? The Word of God. And uh, that is to edify them, to build up the body. Uh, building up the body, right? And the body of Christ has its muscle uh, with um, the teaching of the Word of God. And it's for the fact that we would be unified in the, the faith, the very body of truth, uh, the gospel, uh, the truth of what we believe in. And whether it be um, who God is, what the gospel's about, who Christ is, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all of those things. That's this body uh, consisting of all of those elements. And then we see also that we're not only to come to the unity of the faith, that we'd be believing all these same things, but also uh, it's for the knowledge of the Son of God. Knowing Him intimately. Uh, an, a, a very intimate knowledge. Knowing the person of Christ. And that's an ongoing daily thing, isn't it? We should desire to know Him more and more. And uh, if we do that, then we become a complete man, a perfect man, a mature man. Uh, we, we reach the completion, and we know we have not attained that. We will not until we're glorified, but yet at the same time, there is an attaining to, to this now, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that's quite the standard, isn't it? To the very measure of who Christ is, being Christ-like. So, the church already possesses unity because of the unity that's found in the Trinity. It's found in verse 4 through 6. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But there's a unity that is to be attained, as in verse 13. Reach its uh, completion, ultimately, but we should aspire to do that now. 
And then we see in verse 13 the Christ-likeness. Become more increasingly like Him. And the fruit of the Spirit is a good way to look at that. The fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those elements show the person of Christ that's in us. If we are showing those the, the fruit, then uh, God be glorified even more because that is showing the very character of Christ. Uh, and then verse 14, we looked at that last week, uh, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Um, it's almost like they know exactly what they're doing. Deceitful plotting, cunning, crafty. Tricking people, deceiving people, all of those uh, false teachings. And so the, the sound doctrine is that we are to be equipped with the truth so that we wouldn't be carried away with all those things. And we had a good discussion last week um, just thinking of some of the, the ways that out in the, uh, the realm today, in the evangelical realm, there's a, a lot of false teaching. People who are professing to be Christians and offering all sorts of um, great things to people. Uh, but he says, don't be deceived by this false teaching. So that moves us in to verse 15. When you have doctrine, it must be balanced with truth. And so there's where Paul comes in. But speaking the truth in love. We're talking about God's purpose for the church. One thing is, and you see it on your outlines, unity. There's to be a unity that is to be attained. There is to be a Christ-likeness. There is to be spiritual maturity. There is to be sound doctrine. All those are, are purposes for the church, but it's going to reach a, the culmination. Another purpose is that we grow in truth. Grow in truth together. Uh, speaking the truth in love. Now the word speaking is alethuo, alethuo, uh which is dealing with professing or to, to speak or to deal, or to act truthfully. Uh, it's talking about living it out as well as, as saying it. I think a good illustration can be found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. This is a good way to picture this. I said verse 6, but it's 16. That didn't make any sense. Okay, 16. Uh, Paul, you know what Galatians is about. He's instructing them that um, they've actually even fallen from what? Fallen from grace? Um, um, We know that he has um, called them foolish Galatians. They have been bewitched. That They've fallen into legalism. And uh, there's definitely a, a problem there as he writes to the Galatians. And when he gets to 4.16, he says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And that's the same Greek word, uh, alathuo. And there are different aspects to this, but we can put them all together. Uh, This phrase can be put forth such as truthing and love. Has anybody ever heard that before? That's an action right there. That would be a good way to interpret it. One of the ways... Um, that our Ephesians passion uh, section is saying here. That is saying what? Speaking the truth in love or truthing in love. Um, walking in the truth is another way to put it. Another way is to have and hold that truth. Having and holding the truth. Truthing in love, walking in... in uh, um, Truth, truthing, uh, speaking, discussing it, um, teaching it. So it's not just merely saying something and giving truth out by your mouth, but it's also being able to back it up, I would say, even by your lifestyle. So truthing in love or speaking the truth of love is not only with the audible voice that's telling the gospel, but it's also a part of your life. And so that is the well-rounded aspect as we see in Galatians. You know, I mean, they knew who Paul was. He did care for them. And he lived out that truth. Um, So, 
that's one idea of speaking the truth in love. How are we to hold on to the truth? That's one thought that I just put forth. It said to hold, to have the truth and to hold on to it. How do we hold on to it? Truth has to be something we hold on to. Um, truth is something that contrasts uh, verse 14. What do you have in 14? False doctrine, right? Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know, the wind can be from the north, then it can be from the south, then the east, and then the west. It can swirl around, and we have everything just blowing about. Uh, very deceptive, and if one is not careful, they can f- fall into that error. Um, truth has to be something that can be defined. Truth has to be something that can be actually looked at, checked, examined, analyzed. And truth is something that can be stated uh, by propositions, actually being able to put it forth. In our world today, what we just said would be uh, taken as a joke because truth is whatever truth you want to make it be, right? Relativism. And no absolutes, which is uh, not only taught in the schools. It's right, and we all hear that. We hear that quite frequently, and that is what is being bantered about today. But we're talking about holding on to this truth. So it is something that is, and we're to be unified in this. This is all dealing with unity. Let's take a little bit of a, a look at this about holding on to it or having this truth. Romans six seventeen. Paul has uh, stated that uh, you are slaves. You came out of death into life and uh, you had this obedience uh, that led to righteousness. In verse 17 he says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that, that was your position, yet you obeyed from the heart What did they obey? That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So now there was something that they could really hold on to and realize that, hey, this is something that is real. It does exist. You can define it. You can state it. You can speak it. So this is the the truth or the form of doctrine. It's dealing with the gospel, the very word of God. It was delivered to them and when they heard it, then they came out of that bondage to sin. Um, another passage would be in Second Timothy one thirteen. Remember, we were talking about holding on to this truth. Paul writes a young pastor Timothy and says, "Hold fast the pattern." of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that sound doctrine, to that teaching, to that truth, that, that the faith that is so important in, uh, as far as the Word of God is concerned. How about Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 12? Just over a few... I think I've got it. I think I got the wrong one there. Copied down the wrong verse. Can't remember where that's at. Anyway, um, what do we speak when we tell uh, the lost or when we communicate it to other believers? uh, Maybe discipling them or such. We speak what we know to be truth. And there are elements in the Christian faith that we know that there's nothing to be argued about. It's absolute truth. There's a lot of different areas that are uh, maybe not the primary uh, doctrines. They can be secondary. And the church has maybe some disagreements on that. That's okay. We're, we, we can talk with that. We can, we can at least reason. We can go through Scripture. We may not arrive to the exact same uh, way that we would want to be, uh, that, or we'd want them, or what have you. Uh, yeah, Eldon. I think one of the errors, not errors, I guess, one of the problems within the church is that this talking about it 
and discussing it has become an end in itself. Uh, I had a conversation here a few weeks ago with somebody over an area where we did not agree. And uh, his comment was when we got through, well, we had a real good, meaningful discussion. Let's get together and do it again sometime. But nobody's mind was changed. The, the goal was the discussion. We sat down and didn't get mad and come to blows. We had a good discussion. That's a good start. <laughs> but you don't, well, we can get together next time, and we will continue the discussion, but we will not come to any conclusion. So when is next time? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's good if we can have a next time and say, okay, let's keep looking at it. And we really want to get down to where we can't, if, if it, especially if it's, uh, uh, you know, primary or something that's very important that the church has to be agreed upon. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. At least we can keep on talking and, 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 go on. and of course, what's going to be the basis? We're always going to have to use the Scripture. Yep. And if we at least be able to do that, then we've got something going. Who knows? The Lord might speak. <laughs> he always does, doesn't He? Um, I think like something very simple. The authority of the Bible has to be something that everybody in the church has to agree on. We, I don't. Me and this other person, both of us, we agree on that. The Scripture is the final word and the authority. So what's next after that then? So we've We've both got a disagreement then on the on the interpretation of it. So now we've got to look up other verses, don't we? Well, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most frustrating position I've ever been in. Well, I, I imagine you're going to stick with it, though, aren't you? Oh, I'm <laughs> <All right. laughs> But then he's vowed to do it also. Well... And his side, if we're taking sides, and I guess that's what we have done, take sides. For the sake of this discussion. Yeah. Most of the church agrees with him. So you're the, uh, you're the odd well, man. I'm not going to tell you the whole details, yeah. but he's taught a Sunday school class, this guy did, and made some <laughs> statements and presented his position. And I went and talked to the pastor, and the pastor kind of agrees with me, at least when he's talking to me. And uh, he said, well, next Sunday, I'll give you the Sunday school class to refute what he said. And I did. As scriptural basis of what I believe. Uh, and I could tell by the reaction of the people, with about half of them, they were, yes, that's right. We wanted to hear that. We haven't heard this before. This is this is good. I had uh, six people come to me afterwards and say, thank you for saying what you said. Uh, but the other half of the church got mad. The, there's a scripture that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I paraphrased that a little bit that Sunday morning in a little different way. You shall hear the truth, and the truth shall make you angry. <laughs> oh my! They don't know it in their heart. They don't know what God said. They they know what the church has taught them for the last hundred years. But when they hear the truth, they just hear it. They don't know it. I think Paul had the same problem. That's right. He went into Mars Hill when he talked, and the people said, we'll hear you again next week on this. That's they didn't want to come to the truth. They wanted the discussion. That's the church today. They want to have the discussion. They weren't interested in coming to any truth. And there were a few people in that group that he was talking to that believed him and followed him, but he never went back. Hmm. Yeah, very few. That's yeah, That's our, kind of the mode. Our disunity is not with the church and these people out here. Our disunity is within the church. Absolutely. It's a philosophical thing. Almost, yeah. Where, again, you get that uh, well, uh, your truth, my truth, or 
rel relative truth or whether it applies to my situation, your situation, kind of thing. How does that make you feel, Bob? What? No. Oh, yeah, to use that. What does mean to you, Bob? Uh, yeah, I hate those compound studies. Mean to you. Well, about by every wind of doctrine. That's that's where the church is, and they that's what their parents have taught them, and that's what their parents have taught them, and that's what the pastor before them taught, and the pastor before him taught, and that's what he learned in seminary. That must be right. And the opinion of a lot of people is. I don't care whether it's right or not. That's what I'm going to believe because that's what I've been taught. But they can't really give you any backup on Scripture with that, well, though, right? Well, they've got some uh, twisted Scripture that they use, yes. I mean, to use hermeneutics and use that passage correctly. <laughs> and, you know, but the logic behind both statements is a bad logic. That is, it's true statement, and it always will be a true statement, that the truth will set you free. That will always be a true statement. That will never be a if, false statement. If you know the truth. But if you hear the truth and the truth makes you mad, to me, would be a false statement. Because I hear the truth and it doesn't make me mad. So the logic behind both statements, you just have to take a look at... You've got to compare apples to apples, I think. And I see... I can, you, know, you can tell where this might be going. But <clears throat> the truth will set you free is always a true statement. It's but it's never a false statement. preceded by the... Yeah, but no. Yeah, but you not just know the truth. But you're not hearing what I'm saying. The truth shall set you free, let's just leave it like that, is always a true statement. It will never be a false yeah. statement. Yeah. But for those people who believe, hear the truth and it will make you mad, is a false statement. So you're comparing apples to oranges. Well, I don't think it's a good idea. Made. I don't think it's a good idea <laughs> to take, you know a true statement and flip the words and make it a false statement because when you hear the truth does it make you angry? Well, I can just go back to the scripture. It made the people that heard Jesus' truth mad enough they crucified him. It made the people that heard Paul's truth mad enough that they ran him out of town. Yeah, but it, it made, made just the as many people, people that heard the truth of the disciples it made them mad enough that they killed everyone. Yeah, of them. but it, it made yeah. just as many people free from their sins though. Yeah, but That's the it, point. That's the point. And if you, could, if you could stop it right there and just see what the point to the conversation is, is, is that once you start changing the words and you take a true statement that is always true and you make it a false statement, then you set up a straw man, which is a false argument. And then you just get into this back and forth thing, which everybody is, you know, every, the people in the church say. It's my opinion from Scripture that the church is perfect. That's my opinion, because Jesus died for the church, and the church is nothing less than perfect. Now, when people fight in a church, you have, to you have to really define what the word church is then. Is it just a congregation? Is it a bunch of people getting together? Are we the church? You know, Is there anybody in here not saved? Then we're not all the church. So... You know, it's, you have to when you when you when you argue, and that's what happens with Paul at Mars Hill. When Jesus spoke the truth, yes, he did make people mad, but he did make a lot of people cry and come to the truth. So you had you had a good effect of his statement, "The truth will set you free." But saying making a statement like "Hear the truth and it'll make you angry," I guess for some it would be a true statement, but for those who are believers, it's never a true statement. So you've got to be careful with the argument. Well, I think what, what Eldon is saying, if even if we were to go out, let's say, first of all, let's go to a lost person. And if we give the gospel, and if we show them that um, they are sinners, some people might receive that, like you say there. There might be others that don't. They get upset. They get very angry. They've heard the truth, but and, and they heard it full well, but they did not like what you said. Now they're very angry at you. In this case here, we're not talking to an unbelievers. We're talking to people in the church. A statement is made. Some, A few people might agree with it. Still yet, there might be other people that hear it, and now they're, they're mad because that's the way they interpreted sure. it. Yeah, and, and yeah. I understand that. But I right. think my point is still that you cannot take a statement that is absolute truth, always true, 
and turn it into a false statement. You will always have a problem with that statement. And that's why you're having people on both ends of it. You see what I'm saying? You're going to have a disagreement in the church. You, that's well, what you're saying. You know, I mean, if you're sitting in front of a Sunday school class, I never assume that everybody in a Sunday school class is a Christian. I never assume that. Because when you start right. assuming that everybody's a believer in the Sunday school class, that's when you run into problems. Yeah, you're going to have... that they'll already know. You're talking wheat and tares. Yeah. yeah. Talking and it's going to be in the church. We don't always know who's a believer exactly. and who's not. Those who hear the truth, they get angry. I would have a problem with saying that they're part of the church. Well, this this guy that I had the conversation with, I know he's a believer. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely, I'd bet my salvation on it that he is a believer just as much as I am. Uh, and he disagreed. We disagreed. Well, uh, Luther, Luther and, and Calvin, for instance. Right. Um, so in my experience, there's been people that have heard the truth and they get angry. Yeah. And they may, they are... A lot of them are believers. Luther got very angry at Zwingli uh, because of their disagreement on communion, for instance. And uh, matter of fact, Luther even was more or less saying that uh, Zwingli wasn't a part of them. He wasn't even part of the church, which was which was not true either. But, right, but that's Christians not, can. But yeah. that's not the gospel. Peter and Paul were angry at each other, but it wasn't over the gospel. It was over issues that were side issues that, that meant nothing. Well, that's probably what you're referring to. Exactly. If it means nothing, right, that's the whole point. If it means nothing, then it's not worth fighting over. Well, and, but see, that's another thing that people will disagree on, is what is worth fighting over. That's, that's a whole other thing. Um, you'll have some that I think it's very important to fight over with this issue here, and others will think, Right, and then that's, 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 that's getting right back to well, then what is the truth to you? Is it primary or is it secondary? Sometimes we're going to run into there, that. There is only one truth. There is only one truth, but I don't think there's any one person aside from Christ Himself who knows absolutely what all of that truth is. Uh, that's my opinion. Calvin even said that no theologian will get more than, I think he said 70% correct. And he included himself in that, and I'm certainly nowhere near. But, um, but you were starting to list fundamentals a while ago—the fundamental things that somebody would have to believe. Right. Weren't you? I mean, right. I mean, right. And I forgot now which one you mentioned. Well, um, I think there's something that we cannot disagree on would be the Word of God, the authority. If somebody <clears throat> proposes to be a Christian. But yet, their total authority is not the Word of God. And they'll even tell you that, which I've heard that many times. Well, if that's the Word of God, or if that's the way that God is, that kind of thing, then I don't want it. Then, that puts, and I know what you're saying there, now I'm going to question, if that person doesn't have this as an authority, what is their authority? Well, it's their own thinking. Now, my question is, is that person really a Christian, or they just say that out of their emotions? Uh, which could be, but I have to really think now, I really want to find out where that person is at. I want to talk to them a little bit more. And you come to find out that, hey, th they don't really care for God's Word. I have to say, if that be the case, um, I have a hard time saying that's a brother or sister in Christ. Um, the person and work of Christ, I think, is something that, whenever I say I think, I know that that is nothing that we can um, disagree about. I mean, the person and work of Christ, Him coming here in His incarnation, you can't doubt that. And His work that He did, all the way up to the redemption, the atonement, uh, the resurrection, all of those elements, there can be, you cannot be a Christian and say, I, I can't identify with that. Uh, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, you're not a Christian. I mean, those are absolutes, the uh, essentials. The second coming, that He is going to come back for us. The Trinity. Uh, I think that's very important. If you go back to the early days of the church, um, you know they had to have um, uh, councils to make sure that um, what they believed to be the body of truth was truth. And uh, it even gotten to a point where you know, uh, there was only a few men standing up for that. Um, the justification by faith. 
I think, is very key. Um, Catholics and Protestants. The Catholic would say, yeah, you're justified by faith, but then if you go and find out what they mean by that, it is something different than what uh, a Reformed theologian is going to think. Uh, we know that their uh, justification by faith is not an imputed righteousness. Uh, and that's, that's... I think in the Catholic faith it would be, it would be an attained justification. Yeah. It, uh, it is, of course, what he did, but also what I add to, what I can keep on doing. Um, the doctrine of the church in the sense that we are part of the, You have to be a part of the church. You have to... You know, that's, that's a doctrine of belief. Why were there creeds and why were there um, confessions? You know, why were they ever drawn up? Yeah. Well, there's, there's one minor one that, well, you, you touched on it, but you didn't quite say it. And, and it's the thing that I often think of when I, when I uh, think of whether or not a person is a Christian. And it's just pretty much verbatim is it in the book of John. Um, those who know that, that uh, Christ came in the flesh. What, what's that verse now? I always think of it. It's like God came in the flesh in Christ. And that is like the thing that somebody has to has to believe. And the incarnation from the dead. Yeah. Right. Okay. And John chapter yeah. one I think is where you're talking about. I think so. I think it's verse one. eight somewhere around there. Indeed. But, but secondary issues, that's why the church has so much problems. Secondary issues, and I'm sure that both of these gentlemen have their hearts in the right place and they're, and they're both knowledgeable and they both understand. But if, if, you had, if you say something and I totally don't agree with it and it's a non-issue, I just let that run, you just let that run off your back because you're not going to get anywhere with it. You never will. It, they've been arguing over for years and years, you know, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, this, to, you know, rapture before this, rapture after that, you know, faith by works, faith by, you know, scripture only. People have been fighting over that for years and years and years and years. It's never going to come to an end, like you said, until we become more mature or perfect in the faith. Um, and the secondary issues, I think, is what we fight over. And he's right. People do get mad in, in a church congregation, and they split. You know, uh, you know, the only time, I think the only time Christians should divide is to multiply. I don't think they should divide is to go your way because you believe this and you believe that and this is my understanding and this is your understanding. Remember, Scripture is not of one person's interpretation. It's just not. You know, I mean, I believe Paul said that somewhere. It's not of a private interpretation. You know, Scripture is, the truth is what it is. But I think as we look in, in Ephesians, of course, that's what the whole idea, I think, of this, uh, the idea of, of unity. And and we're not outside of, uh, I guess, this side of uh, heaven and the, the glorified state, we're going to continue to hammer this out. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. I think ultimately, where's that pointing to? When we are glorified. And we'll be in perfect agreement on everything. Because then we will have such a view of things that we're so limited on now. We're, we're so finite uh, that we don't see all things clearly. But we are here, at, even at the same time, though, to try to build, uh, build up, to come to a unity in, in thinking. And uh, sometimes you're only going to go so far. Uh, we're, to, we're to maintain a, a, a unity that is based upon truth. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're not always going to agree on, on everything. But we do know there are things that we, we have to. Um, but you, you can see what Paul is, is leading up to here. If we, if we don't have that kind of teaching and that body of truth, then every man is for himself and it's whatever your own interpretation is. And that's basically, I think, where we have come to today in the body of Christ, which Eldon might be talking about there too, which, uh, you know, it could be a very much of an essential uh, sometimes we're not so sure whether it's essential or uh, maybe just less than essential. I don't know. But uh, we are to be edified. We want to come to that perfect unity. And, and your whole life screams out uh, and, you, and you groan for the, the glorification because we're so short of that. And 
doesn't it get to you? And, and we don't even have to feature upon it, but the denominations. Well, but God uses those. But mm-hmm. yeah. No. yeah, you had a... Who determines what is and is not essential? Trick question, or you want an answer? <laughs> well, ultimately, where is it going to come back to? It's going to come back to the Word of God. Well, then who interprets that Word of God? Uh, well, we know for many hundreds of years, the church was the authority on that. And it came back to that. You basically had, well, pretty well one church. There was a division even in that one church, the East and the West. But they settled it clearly. Whether it was biblical or not, they had it settled and you could not believe any other way. Um, in the sense of the Word of God, which is the authority, of course, I think what the church has done has helped us out. And that's why I say the creeds, the confessions, um, they helped out a lot because they summed up at least, let's start with the essentials, the things that we know that cannot be argued upon. Um, I don't know. Did you have any more, more comment that you wanted to go on with that? Or is that just a question? Would a church's confession or constitution, what have you, be considered essentials? Would that itself be considered the essential and what it did not cover considered to be secondary? Uh, and it's probably going to depend upon that church and the confession that they have. Well, <laughs> but if you went back to the ancient... To be true, yeah. and that's why it's their confession, would that not be considered essential? Yeah. And even at that, then you're going to still develop into the secondary issues which we have been brought up, which you can get, you can bring into but those would baptism be, and, and Lord's Supper, let's but say. But those would not be involved in the actual confession. Well, yeah, they can be. Uh-huh. If you take a Lutheran confession, their um, view on baptism and communion, for instance, will definitely be different than maybe a Presbyterian church, let's say. Would a on Presbyterian those church confess a Lutheran confession? Uh, to, yeah, for the most. But then on, well, let's take baptism they, and communion again. Would they then include that in their confession, though? Wouldn't they exempt those points out in the first place because that's not what they confess? Well, they're going to bring forth what they believe on that. So that would be the church's confession. Right, they, they made a decision. That's why you have different groupings. That, so, that would be considered the essential, and what the confession did not cover would be considered the secondary. I guess you could say that. I don't. Uh, you might give me an example. You have an example running there. Um, okay, with some Baptist churches, they have a constitution that just states that hmm, the council, the chairman, the board, or whatever has the right to divide money. And another one will say that the preacher has the authority to... Like the elder or elders. Money. Yeah. Well, within that one church, the essential would be the elders, and within the other church, the essential would be with the pastor. But that's not something That's more church government rather than... But it is what they confess to be truth. Right. They could be confessed the way they they decide to run the church. I think I think essentials the way I think of essentials. If we're thinking of Christian doctrine, I'm thinking of the doctrine of the apostles. Period. I mean, when you say, what are the essentials of this church? And I'm sitting here tonight because I I'm hoping to believe that this church believes in the essentials of the apostles and the apostles' teaching and the apostles' teaching only. You know, um, and that's. That's the that's what I mean by essentials. I, I I don't know if that's what you mean by essentials, but that's what I mean by essentials. Now, but like she said, you know, who's going to delight up the money? You know, first of all, the Baptist Church they don't even have elders. Okay, they just have deacons. That, and that's sort of why I tried to use the word and, and, and the Baptist Church. <laughs> and this is nothing good, bad, or different. I have nothing. I, I this is just the way it is. Right, 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 right the there, right there's a perfect example. What you mm-hmm. would call the guys in charge. Well, yeah. Yeah. well, and 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 the and the apostles' teaching, the essential apostle teaching is plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. So if you have a church that doesn't have more than one elder, mm-hmm. 
It's not the doctrine of the apostles. That's not one. That's not an essential teaching. You know, they'll have a the, the preacher will be the pastor will be the head of the church. He makes the decisions. He says what Sunday they have dinner and what Sunday they don't. Okay, but he doesn't have anybody to answer to. That's very dangerous. The, the, you know, um, so essentials is essentials according to the apostles. The twelve apostles. Okay. Why are you limiting it to only the apostles' teaching? Why? Do I really have to answer that? <laughs> because that's who wrote this. Period. The apostles, as as in uh, listed, like in Ephesians, where mm-hmm. the gifts are at. The apostles' doctrine and such. You know, the, the apostles' teaching, you know, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread. And, mm-hmm. and, and Paul says in Galatians that if anyone comes to you preaching any other gospel than what we have taught you, we the apostles, let them be accursed. The word there is Maranatha. Mm-hmm. Let them be, you know. Yes. Them. Okay. Damn. And so, and, and and that's why the apostles' teaching is so important. Very, very important. It's, it's, it's the cor- well, you know, Christ is the cornerstone, and the the apostles' teaching is the building that goes around the cornerstone. Well, most of the things that divide the church today, the apostles never heard of. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. And that's why they're useless to fight over. <laughs> Well, in in Christianity, I think a, a lot of the times things become because of not paying attention to apostles' doctrine. Then things become vague, very uh, unclear, indefinite. I guess you could say. Uh, I think there's a need for the body of of truth to be summed up in a sense of here's what we believe, and even at that, you're still going to have disagreements. But as a whole, you, you don't really have disagreements. It's incredible how many things the body of Christ really does agree on. Uh, the modern attitude, I think, is arrogant in the sense that they will dismiss all of church history, all of the creeds. They'll condemn all the confessions and catechisms because say, we don't need that. We have the Bible as the truth. Well, that's true, the apostles' teaching. But to sum that up, that's why it's good to say, well, here's what this, this whole body here believes in, and here's why. And to give you scripture for it, you can look back, look at the Apostles' Creed, um, and that's stated today by many churches. Uh, it's very general. Um, you're not going to get down into the very intricacies of all that, but uh, it definitely sums up... Um, you know the the very basics, uh, very important. Nicene Creed, uh, the thirty nine articles. Different nations, different areas of Europe had these. Westminster Confession, of course, uh, the Augsburg Confession for the the Lutherans, the Heidelberg Confession in Germany. You had the the Belgic Confession, you know the Lower Countries. Uh, you had the London Confession there in England, and then the sixteen eighty nine Baptist Confession. They all were so close in almost. All elements. Uh, if you're talking salvation, they were in perfect agreement, almost word for word. Uh, the doctrine of heaven, doctrine of hell, doctrine of Christ, the Trinity, all of those. They, if you look at those confessions, they're so close. But when you when you get into certain other things, and this is why the the Protestant Church split, and that's why you had Lutherans and then the other Reformed people. Um, because of, of communion, for instance. And, and, of course, the baptism as it developed a little bit later and such. But these confessions, uh, I think, are important because they drew up uh, what was to safeguard what the truth was, um, what salvation was. False teachings and errors started creeping into the early church very, very quickly. And the future of the church was at stake. And we're talking about the deity of Christ, for instance. That had to be addressed. You had the Arians, the Arian heresy, which did not believe in uh, the deity, for instance, or people like Athanasius, who had to defend the Trinity, and it was almost like him against the world. Matter of fact, I think that's kind of the way it was stated, because he had to go up against the rest of the whole church dealing with his belief in the Trinity and proving why it was biblically. And that went on for years. And the church almost 
went with the heresy of, of what he uh, stood uh, against there. So he defended the truth. Yeah, Bill. Well, I just I, I think part of the difference of what we're talking about now and what they were talking about even back then, where the for lack of a better word, the Catholic Church at the time, you know, was telling everybody what to do, and there was a lot of legalism and all the sacramentalism and everything that went on there. But that's before people actually had the Word of God for themselves. I mean, I don't even remember what year it was that, that they quit that they quit reciting the Mass in Latin. You know, I mean, that was in in the 1900s. When, yeah. When they, when they 1960, started. I think. Okay. When they started back in 61. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it makes, I mean, at that point, and, and to this day, the reason why people are led astray is because they don't know their Bible. They just don't read it. And so, to me, sometimes it just goes back to that passage in scripture where you know where God said, Well, I'm your king and they go, No, 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 no. These guys have a king, these guys have a king, we want a king. And to some people the church is their king because they don't want to think for themselves and they don't want you know, they want a relationship with their church when they when, when they when they really need a relationship with God. You know, and, and so now that we have the word, you know, we don't have any excuse for you know, for, for being pulled in these different directions. Because it's all right here. If we really study it, and I believe it was somewhere in Timothy where said, you know, prove yourself a workman approved. You know, I mean, it's that's why it's good to get out some. You know, edification and, and constant admonishment to know your Bible. And then if you have difficulty on a passage, then seek it out. Go, go to your, um, use your hermeneutics. Um, use a, a Bible, a Greek dictionary, or at least something that's a helpful tool that you can still understand, even if you don't know the Greek. Use, use uh, commentaries, and, and they might be varying from each other, but at least you can start formulating it, and you're checking it out. may not know exactly what it all means, but you're starting to formulate an idea, and, and you're getting to know the Lord and His Word. That's what it's about, not so much that I want to be able to articulate to change somebody's mind, but that I'm settled on this issue. Yeah, and, and one of the one of the keys for me, because I mean, I, I you know I, I do study a lot of different doctrines, and, and, and some of them, I mean, I have my pet doctrines, as you guys all know, from me being here as long as I have. But but in that process of dealing with those doctrines, what I have found in dealing with those doctrines is my own sin, because even if some of those doctrines, like an example speaking in tongues that I don't agree with and the people that I the people that I read and the commentaries that I read are, are against it, okay? My ability to love those folks, even though they're good friends of mine, is hindered by my own sin. And that's that's the hard part of dealing with is that like like Eldon, this this gentleman that you talked about with this thing, I mean, I would have trouble loving that person. And we still have to love because we're known by our love for one another. Now your flesh wants to do something else, but then you are bound by the truth. <laughs> put on a pole, you know, and, and and we have to we have to love each other, you know. And I know that I mean churches throughout the centuries have divided, but but at the same time, if if someone is you know majoring in the majors and minors, you know, on the minors, you know, it doesn't keep me. From breaking bread and, 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 and hanging out and, and, and feeling a camaraderie with an assembly of God person, Mormon would be a different story. I don't see it. You're not going to love me. <laughs> but, but we still are called to love. Would you say that's a comment on this section here, speaking the truth in well, yeah, love, and, right? And like I said, and if you want to call it a confession, I'm not very good at it. I'm really bad at it. You know? I mean, because, I mean, I've been in situations... Does it help you grow? Well, it convicts me, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> we've had discussions in our own family about some of this stuff. And, you know, and, and you know, and, and like even with Jake, he says, well, you know, they said that this is okay. And I'm like, well, you know, and just to throw this out, I said, well, I prefer to, you know, ascribe, if you will, to what John MacArthur said about this issue, you know, as opposed to someone... That, that you know, you know, who isn't, you know, that mature in the faith and, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, I'm not weaving it all together. I'm just saying, but my ability to love that person is where I have to deal with that own, <coughs> you know, it's okay to be right, you know, because I'm right all the time. And even if I'm right all the time, I still have to love. 
you got to love that Mormon person that's saying I know. That, that, and I mean, that's that manifesting what he's talking about here. You're showing the love of Christ. God wants us to manifest that love. Those are the qualities that, that Christ has. And when you, you know, when they start saying, I was, like that gentleman up there was saying, you know, there are people who say, well, what does the Bible say? And then they'll say, yeah, but what does, what does uh, Joseph Smith say? Or what does Mary Ellen White say? Or, you know, what does this person say? Well, you know, that's no different than saying, well, what does John MacArthur say? Or what does R.C. Sproul say? Or what does David Jeremiah say? You know, uh, of course, you know, there's a difference in character, difference in love there. But there's still, it's, it's still the same argument, though. You know what, you, you see what I'm saying? Um, we have to get back to what the Bible says. In John, this, this young lady brought it up here, and I'm just reading this over and over. He says in John 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone. The true light, which enlightens everyone. We don't even have to read. Of course, you know that's. We don't even have to read the Bible to know God. It's already he. Or, we already have the capabilities of knowing Him, because the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And, um, you know, that's just all of us having God making it, which makes us all responsible to God. You know, you'll have a person who'll say, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really not that bad of a sinner, or, you know, why am I responsible to God? You know, um, it makes us responsible to God because God has enlightened every man with, the knowledge, with a certain amount of knowledge that we need to know God. You don't have to study the Bible for 45 years to learn about salvation. You can, you can be saved. You can know nothing about the Bible and, and, and be saved. Exactly. That's usually how it works. You go back and try to figure out that That's right. And it's amazing how that works. Oh, my gosh. How, how does that work? And then I think we complicate things by, you know... Studied Hebrew for how many years? Studied Greek for how many years? All that did was confuse me. I got confused. I was like, wait a minute. What does that really mean? But would you trade that now? <laughs> you know, I, you don't have you know to have I, those, you know but does it en- help? Does it enhance your growth, though? I had more zeal. I stood out on corners in Kansas City, downtown Vine Street, and handed out tracts when I was a babe in Christ. Mm-hmm. I had more zeal when I first accepted the Lord, you know, I don't know, 35 years ago, than I have now. Well, why aren't you doing that now? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. What happened to me? You know, I don't think I, it was a, the study of Scripture or no, knowing no, who He was. It did. I, no, I know you no, wouldn't say no, that. Of course not. No, but, but you see what I'm saying is, is that I had no thought for myself then. People would say, where are you going? You going over there? And I'm going, yeah, I'm going, I'm going right in the middle of that crowd. I'm going to hand on some tracks. Okay. We'll meet you back at the hotel. Or we'll meet you back, you know, in what? I've been in places where people wouldn't even think about going, talking about God and Jesus and just... You know, Sharon giving out tracts. Of course, you know, didn't have the money to give out Bibles then. So you bought a tract for a nickel and you started giving them out to anybody who wanted to take them. But then what happens is, you know, you go to church, you, you, you meet a bunch of people, you start learning, you go to school, and the next thing you know, you start reasoning things. And you start saying, oh, yeah, what does that really mean? And you make it more complicated. The church is simple. Salvation is simple. Jesus said, you know what? My yoke is easy. I've made it complicated. I really have. I've made it it complicated. Um, You know, books, I got got books that could fill this store. Tapes, CDs. Um, And, you know, I don't know if it's really done me any good when I stop and think about it. You know, all it's done is made me realize how divided we are. And I think that's the thing that I'm, that really, you know, gets to me is when somebody starts, first of all, you know, I would talk to anybody about the Lord, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, anybody, okay? Um, especially a person who claims to be a Christian, you know, because that's, that's where you get your food from. That's where you get your motivation from. 
And then you start like this gentleman. This guy goes out and talks to his friend, and they're talking, and the next thing you know, you know, they're not agreeing with anything for whatever it was, the topic that there was. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I still don't have a, a sense of that. Well, it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't care who you talk with. Eventually, because of our finiteness, because of our sinfulness, our humanness, we are going to have our uh, our differences. But God uses all that to, for us to realize how much we rely on our flesh in situations instead of listening to what the Word tells us to do with that. Like we say, we know what we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's really hard because it's a lot easier. A lot of people think it's a lot easier to love the believers than to love the believers. Because you know, if you want to have a conversation, if you're going to talk about things, you're going to find you don't come to agreement with it, and what do you do with it? And then when you rely on the flesh, yeah, according to the scripture, it's always wrong. Right, and then we know that's what we do with our flesh and see that the scripture. Well, we know, like in, in our text tonight, and uh, we'll probably better draw this to a close, but. Uh, we know that we're to be built up. We're to be edified, right? It's for the edifying of the body. And this, this teaching of this truth, uh, and we can't stress enough, the, the body of truth is what we all focus around because it's, it's focusing on Christ. We want to come to that unity of the faith. Even though it's to be attained or try to be attained now, we know there is the conclusion. But look at this. Not only unity of the faith, but the knowledge of the Son of God. The reason we seek out truth is that we would know Christ. And I think if we would keep that at our very forefront, I want to know Him. In between that come certain elements that are very difficult to deal with, where there are discrepancies. Discrepancies among very godly men who have the same doctrine as us, and they still disagree. But until Christ comes back, (laughs) we're going to continue to have some of that, but he says to know Christ, to a perfect man, to the measure of the fullest stature of Christ. We don't want to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. We don't want the, the cultish beliefs. We don't want any of that and be, be blown around, at least if we're spending time with the Word of God so that we would know Christ, so that we'd be conformed to His image, then we're not going to be deceived by things that come along uh, and to be tricked. But what we are going to do is we're going to take that body of truth that we now have obtained and we know to be truth and we're going to speak that, whether it be to the lost or whether it even be to other believers because we are to edify. We have these gifts, but we do it in love as we have been mentioning all along um, so that we would grow up. And we want to be able to represent what the head is and commanding. So we want to be able to represent who he is. And I'll just read a couple of scriptures and then we'll be done. But truth is wedded to love. I've got that on there. Look, just in Ephesians, just where we've been, and look how Paul has been able to take this truth and practice it. In verse 17, for instance, Here's what he really desired for them. That Christ may dwell. Make, make himself at home in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there was one element. He loved them so much, he wanted them to know the deep, deep love of Christ. And then uh, also in uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So as we're endeavoring to keep that unity in the bond of peace, we're bearing with one another. Um, and sometimes that can be difficult. We don't feel like it. I don't want to do it, but I know I'm bound to do it. You know. And then we, we look in chapter 5, uh, 1 and 2, where this is chapter 4 is heading <laughs> into 5. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ 
this Christ-centered gospel, also loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Just in Ephesians there, you can see the idea that the Apostle Paul had. And he was willing to, to give himself up to die, uh, not only for the truth of the gospel, but his love for the people that he brought it to. And, and you can look in some of the, the passages that I had there in, in number 6. As you can go on and on. You can look all over the New Testament. But he had an authentic life. He spoke the gospel audibly, but he his life represented who the head uh, of this church was. Uh, he spoke the gospel. It means he, in love, uh, he, he lived it out. And he definitely spoke it. So anyway, there are a lot of passages dealing with how he exhibited that love, how he cared for them so much. But he definitely had truth. <laughs> he had absolute truth as he uh, manifested in his life but, uh, the way that uh, God had uh, brought it to him and he, he wrote it down and gave it to us. The teaching. What a guy. Anyway, thank you guys for coming out tonight, being able to uh, discuss this uh, absolute thought of growing up to be like Christ. Incredible, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff out there. How do we deal with it? (laughs) Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And we are ever endeavoring to know that truth, uh, the truth about who You are. Uh, Thank You for giving that to us. Otherwise, we would be so susceptible to falling into so many different errors that not only is out in the world, but uh, in the cults and the Eastern religions and such, but also even inside uh, the body of Christ and different doctrines that do not represent Christ. And help us be able to delineate those and at the same time to uh, um, deepen ourselves into you so that others would be able to see your love too as you are operating in us. That's your work. And it's all for your glory. Thank you for the church, Lord. It is a beautiful thing that you have given and put us into. May we ever know more what you have for that. In Jesus' name, amen.